Geekish Cast, episode 66. This is what it sounds like when geeks cry. Welcome back to Geekish Cast. I am joined this week by Larry Nemechek. How you doing there, Larry? Hey, I'm good, Jeremy. How are you? I am a little bit sad. We lost a uh, another legend uh, this week. In 2016, it's kind of been brutal to the music industry. It has. I mean, celebrities in general, but music is just taking a cut. While we were in uh, Europe, uh, Merle Haggard died. Who, yes. Who was, but he's, I especially I kind of like his journey going from Bioki from Muskogee, you know, polyester love it or leave it white guy to uh to his pretty pretty progressive politics but um that was that was a blow although he was up there but prince was you know prince was way too young and uh, oh yeah. yeah prince at 57 that's just uh, yeah you know, especially now that i'm in my 40s a 57 year old that's like losing a 20 year old you know well and and you know no one had been keeping up with the little personal narrative of the last week there where he had been sick and they were like no no he's fine he's fine and then his plane's diverted, and now we know he had to do some kind of emergency, uh, you know, treatment. And then he has, I don't know, it's like a guilt thing, but he has a guilt local party, and there. And I had no idea he was such an integral part. We learn all these things now, but and that's right. interesting. But part of part of me, and I was not a huge, huge, huge Prince fan. He didn't change my life. I remember, you know, Purple Rain and uh, Purple Rain doves cry, and of course, party like it's 1999, and. Beyond that, I'm not. I mean, my wife is looking at me like um, pink, um, I was going to say pink Cadillac, red uh, little, red, little red, red Corvette. Yeah, and I just said I, nothing. It went totally by me. So sorry for my ignorance. But it's been interesting watching the world react and people of all countries and persuasions and you know economics and skin color and politics, and that's wonderful. But again, mm-hmm. the part of me just goes, it, okay, so. Could you have shown the guy this much love and attention while he was alive? Because I think, not that he was, you know, down on his luck, or, or he was still putting out albums, I understand, and just put one out in December, and that's awesome, and his fans were all up with him, obviously, and the locals there in Minnesota loved him. But just, you know, in a mainstream way, I know there's tons of distractions out here in our crazy landscape now, but I just, I just one of those times when I feel like, could you have shown the guy a little more love and respect while he was, you know, still going instead of, you know, like I said, I, I, I appreciate the guy and love him and want to hear all about this because I, I, I've got plenty of things in my life to distract me. But it just, I was almost taken aback in a good way, but I was taken aback by how the world stopped to memorialize him because I didn't realize he was so iconic in the way that all the people that know these things are talking. And that's wonderful. But I'm just like, wow, if he was that iconic, shouldn't we have been, you know, paying more attention all along? Anyway, that's... Well, and I think we saw that also, you know, with Bowie when he passed away recently. Mm-hmm. Um, we definitely, you know, all of us who hadn't thought of Bowie in a long time, but then when he dies, you're like, oh, God, and I love this song and this mm-hmm. thing that he did. It's just, you can come on with this list forever. And for metalheads like me, like when Lemmy died back in December, Lemmy from uh, Motorhead, yeah. and I'm just like, God, I forgot about, you know, all these albums that I loved, and... It's their death brings it into focus. Yeah, I think, and not that, really... not that. I mean, I don't want to get into comparative things here, and you know, the billing on the marquee mm-hmm. live or anything. But when, um, um, oh my God, I'm just gone blank. Was it Glenn? Uh, Glenn Fry? Yes. Yeah, Glenn Fry. The Eagles 
died, and there was a little bit of that too, a lot of that, and a lot of, you know, not that, and again, not to get comparative here with, you know, who's the bigger head on Mount Rushmore, but Glenn Fry was certainly the voice of a generation, you know, with, with the Eagles, and then, you know, in his solo career too, but the, I mean, the Eagles were just so the voice of <laughs> 10 or 15 years of, of, of growing up and, and after, and, um, but yeah, those are the kind of moments where you stop and, and if you weren't it, you're either a huge fan or you quickly realize how much they were in the music of your life. You know, how much exactly. they were in the background tapestry going by and you maybe didn't appreciate it. I mean, it just hit me. I remember one of the things I felt when Leonard, di- Leonard Nimoy died, because we're all first name basis here. Oh, of course. Um, <laughs> but one of the things that struck me was how I had, you know, Dee was my favorite of the original cast and and McCoy and all that, and not that I never didn't like Spock or appreciate him or appreciate the, the the pure acting that Leonard brought, you know, much less all the other artistry, and then other, all the other assets of his life. But one of the things, it's like I almost felt guilty, and I wrote a piece for for the official Trek magazine about how I almost, I felt like after he died that I took him for granted, because Spock was always there, and Leonard was always Spock, and Leonard did such an awesome job of Spock that it was Oh, it's just one of the foundations of the whole franchise. <laughs> you know, of course. You know, like, yeah. you know, like half of the entire population of the original, uh, of the popularity of the original series that led to everything else was due to Leonard and or his character. And, and then the way he's carried himself all the years since. It is just, I was like, oh my God, I've just taken all this for granted. And that's me in my home, in my home turf. And I can just mm-hmm. imagine what all these icons passing are doing to people who are much bigger music fans than I am. And and I'm going to just close on something real quick with Prince, and we'll get to why I've had you, actually had you on this week. Wait, wait, wait. Not... This wasn't the Prince oh. Memorial oh. Trek show? I thought you, you lied to me. <laughs> this is what it sounds I... like when the geeks cry? But the one thing I wanted to I wanted to talk about, just real quick, or comment on, is that, you know, I'm an old, I'm a metal guy, and you're, you know, your background is more like in the 70s area, so you're more like probably Meatloaf and uh, the Eagles and stuff like that was really the music you cut your teeth on. Uh, but yeah. Eagles, from, Linda Ronstadt, from, uh, yeah. Elton John, um, um, oh Rod Stewart probably Rod Stewart and uh, oh my God, um, Rumors, Fleetwood Mac and oh yeah. Uh, yeah yeah everybody I know from country music fan to hip hop fan to just old school R and B to metal to you know classic rock as they would call it now but when you were growing up just rock music everybody has a Prince song everybody yeah. can name a handful of favorites yeah and that to me is. That, to me, is probably the most powerful thing you can say about an artist in their passing, is that even if it was small, they somehow musically or artistically touched everybody on their way out the door. Right. And, and some yeah. people of all <laughs> faiths and creeds or whatever had exactly. something that they, that they loved or that they could buy into or that, 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 that reached out to them, that touched them. But um, So last time, we just kind of hit on a few of the projects you've got going, and I wanted to spend a little more time and kind of discuss what each one is and kind of like get updates where you are and what you got going on. So the one I'd like to start with, if you could give us a little background on it, is your Portal 47. Oh, well, Portal 47 uh, is is what I'm really excited to be working on now um, because it's really out of the box, and it's really getting... Star Trek and the Star Trek that I've been privileged to know post my own fandom. I mean, as a fan working in the industry as a professional, but all the years of, of memories and physical archives and especially the people. 
there are so many Star Trek people with an insight into the, the thing, that ever, the monster, <laughs> that has consumed so many people, mostly in a good way. I mean, some, somebody said one time, of all the you know, entertainment properties, you know, franchises, to be involved with, and those are all air quotes going on there, um, oh, sure. of all the franchises to be a part of and wrapped up in, what better one could you be with than Star Trek? Because, yeah, it's, it's got to make money to give people a job, but the basic through line of Star Trek is that it's inspired so many people and given so many people enjoyment, entertainment, and thought-provoking you know, philosophy, and, and also entertaining moments, and it's inspired generations of you know, people who go into science and space and engineering and medicine and, and, and look at, at social issues, you know, and, and expand people's horizons and get people to think out of the box and inspire even our, our techno-cultural design motif, you know. I mean, it just, it's hard to think of something that's affected so much for the, beyond just, oh, a TV show that sold soap and shampoo and car batteries. You know, <laughs> in the Coke in the '60s or whatever original. Oh yeah. Um, and and I think probably transcended even what Gene wanted to. Do. I mean, he, he kind of retconned himself in the '70s, and I'm not knocking him for it at all because he was trying to make a living at a time when the world changed and it looked like they all might get left behind, even as Star Trek was celebrated. But um, yeah, well, what better if you're going to be in something in commercial media? What you know, at the very crassest level. What better to be involved with with Star Trek? So um, uh, there are so many people who have been involved that way, and in a commercial side, books and you know media and even podcasts and things can't keep up. And there's there's just so many names of people anyway that I've known and worked with, and and even me putting my interviews out on my Trekland on speaker CDs. I just wanted to, I just knew that there was a whole world of Star Trek there and insights and stories and dot connecting and gap filling that a lot of people didn't know. And plus, all these years, as a practical thing for me, the landscape has shifted to where there, you know, it's hard to, it's hard to find the ways to do that. It's very exciting. The digital revolution has been a big deal. The media revolution and all the fracturing and people have more power and, you know, there's more power in your, Phone now than there was in the entire command, you know, Apollo command and lunar modules combined. <laughs> like, oh, sure. You know, I yeah. mean, just the world is so different than we lived in. And it just seemed to me like there ought to be a way with all the tools of the 21st century to get people into the 23rd and the 24th centuries in a way that, that they hadn't had before. That there had to be a faster, better way to get that to fans and still, you know, help me make a living, but also be very reasonable for people, for fans. But Portal 47 finally is evolved to being, as, it, as I launched it, kind of an eight-point, ten-point monthly uh, deep dive into Star Trek on several different fronts. The, the kingpins of which, the coolest parts of which, are, are not, not like we're doing here Skype or something, but as a conference call um, with people, from, with myself, first of all, and then also with people from... Um, Anyway, Portal47.net, there's a whole list of things. But it's really it, – I've just been trying – people have said it's like a mini-con all year long. You know, uh, People who are isolated and don't get to conventions, um, they've, been, they've been joining. Uh, I say it's for new fans or bored fans or fans who don't even know how much there is they don't know. So 
that's kind of what and, and I get it. But we just this last month we just introduced a, a video component into it. Part of that's the free conference call dot com software has a video side now, so we're going to get visual. Um, but yeah, and I've had um, uh, people from stand-ins to stunt stunt guys and gals to um, to some of the assistants to uh, Marvin Rush, who was director of photography. I mean, we've got a long list of people to hit, and um, and I'm later on going to have like a kind of like a senior level. Uh, I, I'm toying with calling it the Four Pips Portal. <laughs> okay. For, for you know, for admirals and such, but without getting right. cheesy about it. But um, but yeah, and, and that would be kind of a you know uh, one for those who want to jump in that way, but um, and have have a you know clientele on that have all of this involved plus that plus then there's things that's exciting like I I love working with Terrace Cassidy who has Geek Nation tours and we do the uh, LA to Vegas um, Star Trek film site tour every two years and we've got a huge one it's bigger than ever this year but here in LA uh, I'm gonna start offering um, just a day tours where I put out a menu of places called Trekland tour and if you come it's just you and me or your group and me in a car or a small van and you pick, you know, four or five things from the day, and I'm going to offer that. But if you're in the portal, you get a big chunk of that, you know, discounted, half off or something. As okay. opposed. And then whenever I'm live at a convention, and we have Portal 47ers there, uh, we have a meetup on me. So, you know. Now, is that is that a subscription? Is that how do Yeah, it's actually walk- a subscription. It, I try to avoid these mundane terms because I feel like they... Mundaneize everything, I, but I, I yeah, I understand. That's basically, that. it yeah, you're not getting a magazine in the mail or, or something. But no, it's a monthly, uh, it's a monthly deep dive. It's a monthly package of, of features, and again, it's at portal47.net. I say it's for the all this for the price of uh, two movie tickets out a month. Basically, it's twenty five dollars a month, and there's oh, a, okay. there's a three month trial you can take if you want to really see if it's for you. And it's through PayPal. Um, there's links on the site. You click and you're in. Uh, we normally, until we have um, you know some more variety in the membership so far that, that want it and the numbers are there, um, most of the telebriefings, for one thing, are on um, Wednesday nights. You also get a recording of everything. So you've got it to keep for later on. You know, you've got these pieces that I'm bringing out of my archives. You have them yourself. Uh, that's included videos and audio. You know, all this audio I've got that I'm putting out, trying to digitize, that's frustrating. Even doing that, it's like an hour and 15 minutes a year of, of five, 600 hours of audio it, from back in the day. Talking right. to all the, you know, the writers and designers and all that, and, and even their own memories aren't as clear as they were sitting down and when it was. So all of that's part of it, and I don't want to over-talk it. Um, I know it kind of – but I am very aware that I'm kind of busting a paradigm here. And uh, I'm about to add some video to the site so I can explain it a little, a little easier for people and not just okay. have them read it. But um, no, it's great. And and I don't know how far your listenership goes, but um, we've got three in Britain right now. And I, as soon as we can hit six or seven, uh, I'm going to start doing sessions for the Brits and the Germans and all the you know Europe fans on their time, which would be like afternoon for us. But as it is right now, it's it's doing a lot to cover the four American time zones. Oh, excellent. Hey, actually, um, we are. I've been paying more attention to my statistics lately. I We do have listeners in London, in Kent, and Lancashire, as well as Dublin uh, in the UK and Ireland, so oh, okay. the British Islands. Yeah, well, so I we think, do have yeah. 
Well, I've had some – we just got to – we were just in the UK for a convention um, and met some fans and had people sign up for the portal and up in the north too, um, Leeds and Scarborough and York okay. that way uh, and then back down to London too. So um, – and I've got a ton of – I've been to – got to – had the you know, privilege to go to Germany for a whole bunch of con- – not so much lately but for about 10 years we were in Germany almost every year and a lot of friends there and a lot of fans there. So um, – Hoping they'll jump in, but when they do, I'd like to have a session just for the just for the euros that um, you know it's more on their time frame. Because as it, I had one guy join and stayed up and came on at three in his morning. <laughs> right. You know, but it, but the thing is, they know they're going to get the recording, and you know, people can submit things ahead of time if they want me to to um, include them in or their questions or their points, and we do that too. So um, it's it's part podcast. Those things that that's and that's again that's not the whole that's not all that Portal Forty Seven is about. It's just kind of the uh, the headliner event every month, and it's it's like part podcast, part radio talk show, part I don't know, um, but it's a lot of fun. And when I made the decision years ago not to do my own podcast, you know, at the time, uh, because I really wanted to up it up the game for it somehow. Oh sure. And just decided to be you know be whenever somebody wanted me on to go you go indulge them <laughs> and myself. Uh, but this has kind of uh, got me back to, you know, I've been interviewing people since, I mean, I, I have a journalism degree and worked in news for 12 years aside from my theater background. So um, that's that's what I do with people. And I'm, I'm, and I'm evolving also at the conventions into, I got to start doing this last year, start doing more on stage interviewing and moderating for individuals or for panels, you know, but especially inter- individuals at, at yeah. some of the bigger cons. Let me uh, yeah. let me ask you real quick, and this isn't to get all maudlin and kind of sad about Don't it. Don't you get maudlin and sad on? I know, but we are, we have, and we will continue to lose a number of people from the TOS days. I mean, it's yeah. just we're fifty years out. Um, you know, like you said, we've lost Leonard, DeForest Kelly, um, uh, James Doohan. Yeah. Uh, I know there's, you know, costume, costume. Uh, uh, William Wears Thieves passed away years ago. Yeah. Writers, I'm sure I can't even think of the names well, Bob of. Bob Justman, Gene Kuhn. Well, Gene Kuhn missed the whole show. He died early. Yeah. But Matt Jeffries and Bob Justman here in the last 10 years. Yep. And it's, you know, and it's uh, sadly, but obviously we're just going to accelerate that pace. And it's been 50 years since Star Trek came out on television. And it's, what are we, 30 29, 30 years uh, since the next generation debuted at this point. That's going to be scary. Yeah. And so, and and not trying to beat it up too much, but we're kind of at the point where a few years ago I realized that my grandparents were getting ready to pass. And if I didn't ask them for as much family history as I could get then, Mm -hmm. we're going to lose it. We're just not going to have access to it. So it sounds to me like that you're kind of, well, you kind of always have had your arms around getting that together, but you've also now created a way for people to experience it in a more thorough, fuller sense is kind of what I'm getting from. Yeah, that's what, I mean, it's, it's becoming a, a year or so ago when I first was thinking about this, it's not so much, but I see it popping up as a buzzword a lot, but that's, I mean, when I say we do a deep dive through the portal, that's Mm -hmm. really, that's really what it's about because we really, because if you, if these things have been little bite-sized nuggets and sometimes we do have, you know, people who've been out, but that's the whole thing. Like my audio, you know, I say on the CDs, it's, these are not happy dappy little sound bites you know, clusters that people do now for things. These are sit in your office for an hour or two hours. And we, I would work through a season at the sweet spot in people's 
you know, time schedules, the end of a season when they weren't rushed and they hadn't flushed their memory core and, and all that. And it's, it's, and now it's required. And I, there are times I even look at people and go, look, um, we can do this now and then I'll have it forever. Or, you know, uh, and I want to come back and bug you again in 20 years mm. because, you know, people will still be talking about this in 20. And by that time, you know, the writers especially would go, yeah, I know. People be talking about this in 20 years and 30 years. And that would be a whole topic of conversation. Like, is that intimidating <laughs> to know that what you're doing here, sometimes dreary-eyed at 2 a.m. or something, is going to be analyzed, you know, in 20 or 30 years? But um, but it's the truth. It's the truth. And Star Trek, you know, there will never be another deer in the headlights like the original series and the you know, the original cast of players caught in that, you know, unexpected time. With, oh, look, we're all iconic heroes and stars and we're all starving, you know? <laughs> Because, oh yeah, because things hadn't shifted around. So anyway, so so yeah, I I didn't think about it at, at first that way, but I realized. Um, I mean, I guess I did. I just wanted to. Get, I just recorded everybody thinking there would be a project around the corner after the companion, after the next gen companion, and then I didn't do the DS Nine or the Voyager companions, and and then I was you know editing magazines, and I had the chance to work on an awful lot of material, and I said, well, I've just got this archive here to go to. You know, and I don't have to bug people again. Or, you know, you can do it, but, you know, rather than go talk to Ron and Brannon on the 30th anniversary, 30th, 20th anniversary of, you know, of uh, First Contact or or Trials and Tribulations or something, uh, it's everybody remembering back to the haze of time. And here I'm waiting, and you know me, I'm waiting through details as much as I can with people back in the day when it's fresh and people have got a moment to sit and talk about it relaxedly. So anyway, so that's what I talk about when I say, you know, it's not quickie sound bites. We you really get a sense of the time and uh, and then and then going back to me, hopefully still as a pundit and still excited to look at the new series and the, and the movie, but especially the new series and what Brian and all of that team is going to do and, and hopefully do again uh, something that's got details that are worth wading through, wading through. I guess they're worth waiting for, too, because we're sitting here. <laughs> oh, sure. <laughs> they're worth both. Yeah, actually. yeah. But anyway, yeah. but that's, that's, so that's, yeah. Um, okay. Yeah, preserving. And, so that's, that's and I, you know, what, and I've been on a thing the last three years, too, what you said about this is all getting biased. I had a, a couple of guys, even geekier than me back home in Oklahoma City, the greater central Oklahoma area, that are great about archiving. And rec- Although I've kept a ton of stuff from, you know, my growing up years and early years around the region. I've. I've even Oklahoma is starting a pop culture museum, and I um, donated a lot of my stuff to um, to that corner of it for the fandom side of it. Um, I mean, there was a time when Oklahoma had, aside from having more astronauts per capita than any other state, Oklahoma had like more sci-fi known name artists than any other state. It seemed like it was kind of strange. Is that yeah, right? yeah. Um, Did not know that. Yeah, I mean, or, or could claim as natives. Um, you know, Keith Birdsong on down, a lot of different places. Anyway, there was a, the Oklahoma Air and Space Museum had a art show one time, and my friend Kevin, who's an artist, who's a, a fantasy and also science, real, real science artist, uh, illustrator. There were like eight of them, and he did the poster for it, and they had eight of these artists' works, and something should have been exploited more. But anyway, but that, I, I got off on that, but... Uh, Hey, no problem. You know what? I'm actually let, let's I'm going to use that to pivot to another product. Yeah! Got, okay, uh, let's pivot. All right. Um, <laughs> this is what they call Nemechek wrangling. Oh yes, please wrangle away. Okay. Well, you've got another project going on that I have heard about that I've done a little bit of independent reading on, but I've never really had. I've never really asked you or somebody else to say, "Hey, 
what exactly is the Enterprise in Space oh. all about? Well, you scared me there with that independent reading, like this was going to get really deep. It, oh, I never yeah. get deep. I'm very, I'm surface. Oh, I'm all okay. artifice. Okay. But yeah. I tell you, seriously, if there was something I was involved with, and this is, again, this is not my project. I was brought into it by, mm-hmm. by a group of people. If there was a project that I had any part of that was worth independent reading and that was, you know, a lot of uh, the sum of a lot of moving parts, it's Enterprise in Space, which is a nonprofit, actual 501c3, intended to be actual space orbiter mission that spotlights students from around the world by having a contest, a submission process to fly to orbit a hundred or more of their projects, of their science, actually STEAM, science, technology, engineering, arts, math, projects for orbit, and have it all be, uh, and also some actual uh, demonstrator projects from real-world aerospace companies, and have it be aboard a craft named Enterprise. Because since the original shuttle Enterprise never flew, you know, it was a test ship, it didn't have engines, it was a drop ship, um, to be the first real enterprise in space. For all those people to be involved with that, and for the people who help crowdfund it uh, and fly their names on a chip and some other perks that they just now recently offered for higher donors. Um, but at the basic crowdfunded, grassrootsy level of just everybody in the world send $20 in and you're in the virtual crew, and they too can fly aboard the first real enterprise in space. Okay, that helps me get my head around it a little bit better. That's I know that was longer than a than an ankle show ought to be or an elevator pitch ought to be, but it's yeah, it's basically flying a hundred or more student projects in about five years on the first orbiter named Enterprise, um, and involving as many people globally as possible, with the through line also with that name of so many people honoring their their science fiction heroes who saw a futuristic positive Earth history future, and all of our real-life space heroes so far who have helped get us there. So everybody involved on the team, this started with a guy named Sean Case, who's a fan in Oregon, who was watching Next Generation one night, turned it off his TV and said, he always tells this story, always said, um, gosh, it's too bad there never was a real enterprise in space. And then he thought, well, why don't we, why don't, what about that? And he started talking to people he met, you know, people in aerospace, people that he knew or would bridge over to, or you so-and-so, you should call so-and-so. And he gradually went from aerospace people and space people and industry people and retired NASA people or active NASA people to people who, you know, and basically said, well, if you do that, don't have it just be a stunt. Don't do an inflatable or just fly, you know, have it be a working, have it honor the name Enterprise and all that the ship, the, the Star Trek ship's, and the carriers and even the you know the 18th century balloon or whatever <laughs> have have honor all of those uh, by having it be a working ship and what could the mission be and then having people say well you know what if you're really going to honor the future by looking at our science fiction and science fact past if you really want to look at the future then get the minds of the future involved and involve students and by reaching out to an education wing. Uh, that's now headed by the two-time NASA Educator in Space of the Year winner, uh, Lynn Zielinski, and her mm-hmm. team. That really honors, you know, this 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 increasingly complex but still simple, pure idea 
of honoring all the best of the optimistic science fiction heroes and what they, how they've inspired, like we said, how they've inspired engineers, doctors, scientists, you know, and, and even people beyond science, you know, um, anthropologists, psychologists, psychologists, uh, ambassadors, statesmen, you know, politicians, people who serve the public, um, just looking for a better world. And, and one of the topics that's come up, um, you know, as we pioneer space and all those people who want to pioneer space. And I should say that, that after a couple of months, a couple of years of, of wrangling and putting a team together, that people from the National Space Society in the States got involved. And, and NSS and the Planetary Society are probably the two biggest or, you know, highest profile public, you know, interest groups that are involved in both promoting space in the future and our lives going into space and also, you know, on the side lobbying Congress and other politicians around the world even to, to get the governments there formally to lead the people and their elected people both and put the money where the mouth is and do that. But uh, people who are, who are invested and who are interested and are passionate about moving into the future. And the NSS took this on as a sponsored project, even though the EIS team is its own thing, a couple of years ago. And that's about the time when they reached out to me and said, would you go and be a spokesman and talk to you know, fans and conventions and, and anything? You know, uh, teacher conferences or science conferences or stand out in front of football games and county fairs. I mean, I can see a role, not me doing all that, but the volunteer army eventually doing all of that because... Um, the attitude being that the sooner that you know, we've already moved from space being this thing that test pilots did and engineers in white lab jackets to, you know, we had the teacher in space, which sadly ended in tragedy. But that idea of eventually, just like our real world pioneers, you know, the trappers and the first scouts and the military explorers were the first people to go like in America across the West. And then that was followed by the wagon trains because it was like the bravest people or the most desperate people, you know, or it was the gold rush brought people. Or but you eventually went from exploration and settlers going from this tip of the spear to eventually you needed doctors and lawyers and storekeepers and gardeners and school teachers and you know you needed to make it a real place to live and that's what will happen with space. It will it will we'll get from the right stuff Mercury original seven level and we're already there we're already sending up people who are trained in science and then they go or, or in engineering and then they go take astronaut training and go up you know yeah well and let me ask you real quick there's so it's looking forward to all of that by honor. yeah no i yeah i'm i'm following that 100% here's here is something that um was it 1972 is the last time we landed somebody on the moon as a government so, yeah. Yeah. Um, so now private, fortunately, probably fortunately and maybe less fortunately, private companies are becoming involved in space exploration. Oh, yeah, big time. Um, which is good and it's bad. I mean, it's, you know, I don't I don't know how I feel about should government be more involved. I feel that we should, as Americans, quit cutting taxes for billionaires and put more money into exploration and things like that. Um, how do you feel about the privatization of space exploration, just in general? Well, no, I no, I'm it, for it. For one thing, I think it's inevitable. And and mm -hmm. here's the thing: if, I think for a while, when space was so new and expensive and scary, that's totally what made sense. Was to, I mean, unless you had a um, uh, a Tony Stark out there 
and apparently now we do <laughs> between uh, you know uh, Branson and Elon, Elon Musk and all those guys. Yeah. Uh, a lot more of them too. I'm, I'm going blank on some more of them, but there's at least a half a dozen of them out there who are doing this now. Yeah. Uh, hopefully, but it's space research, not weapons, not Stark Industries. But being the point that I think the government R and D and investment through NASA, as since you know since the fifties. Uh, is 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 again kind of the leading edge, and I think nobody nobody can do that like the combined force and weight and power and finances and resources of a government, or or a combined unity of governments like the European Space Agency is or whatever. Right. But eventually, I think the idea is as long as we're going to live in a world in a in a where you know capitalistic society where that's a prime motivator, good and bad then a lot of the development is coming from um, private industry. And it's almost like oh, sure. um, whatever the new, whatever the newest hurdle to get through, whatever the newest, you know, uh, goalpost is, the government's kind of taking the edge on that, raising the, you know, getting the research and the information and taking the risk. And then eventually, uh, as people get more energized, people see the potential, um, uh, then then the private industry is going to come along because the government can't you – know, after a while, it won't be profitable. It won't, it won't be worth it for the government to do it because there will come a time when private industry can do the same thing faster, better, cheaper, whatever. Cheaper. You know, with yeah, the with the profit mode in place. And as long as you – know, like, and people – and the private and the private market – boy, I sound like such a capitalist here. But eventually, you know, the, the risks and the safety factors, if you have an idiot, you know – Killing people or destroying billions of cargo with stupid, you know, procedures in place for he won't last long, you know. So he make it rough for everybody else for a while, maybe. But people are going to have to. Um, you know, it's it's been fifty, sixty years now that we've been in space, and just getting up and back to Earth orbit, the cost of, you know, the per pound cost of freight, you know, satellites, you know, do so much now. Where you know, used to you knew the satellites by name. You know, would say Sputnik or. Right. Telstar or whatever, and now there are so many billion satellites that they're doing everything from, you know, the the nitty gritty dirty stuff like defense and weapons, but the communications and GPS and so many functions for satellites and or you know uh, climate monitoring and so many things that uh, but they're finding they're finding lost treasures under the ocean and under what was it the other day that they they found something I'm, I'm I shouldn't have Would they find a temple or a city Yeah, just or by analyzing the scanning, you know, it was 50 feet below the surface. I, it was either a lost city or a lost, you know, anyway, we're doing even more of that. That's, that's, all, that's on the treasure hunting passion side of things. Sure. But that industry has grown enough to where that makes sense, and now people are just in a, in a huge, you know, race to see what's the cheapest, fastest, easiest, and reliable way to get things into orbit. And and that's where that world is. And there's lots of people. But one thing that that's been interesting with me being involved with EIS, it's been out there, and we have the internet now, like everything else, to to bring it closer. You can follow anything if you want to. But through the through the National Space Society, every year they have a conference called the International Space Development Conference, the ISDC, and uh, that's where I met a lot of the people a couple of years ago when it was in LA. And there's there's also space and tech conferences going on all industry like this, and you know. Part hardcore research, part science, and also the commercial applications. And the, the aerospace industry and all the related spin-off areas, that's a booming, booming world. And I don't know how many – I mean, I, I've, I, 
intellectually knew it was out there, but just to have my eyes opened big time. Because here's one cool thing. There's about 12 companies right now that want to be not partners per se, but, but affiliated with Enterprise and Space, and, and the logos are on our page. Uh, we've had people who want to test technologies, and, and, and uh, there's a company called Value Spring that's not space per se, but they're developing a, a new generation cognitive computer, and they want to test demo it on Enterprise and Space as the controller. It's beyond Siri and beyond Watson. It's more like uh, Majel on the Enterprise <laughs> cars. So, I mean, but there's, there's a whole world. I mean, there's a, there's a, a bunch of them. I think the last figure was 27.5 million in-kind pledged to Enterprise and Space from all the companies that are listed uh, on the enterpriseandspace.org, I should say, website. But but there 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 are, there's a there's a space race quote unquote now to to mine asteroids. There's two or three companies that are yes. that are in business to, and they're you know hey they're totally driven by the dollars there because they're looking at all the limits that they can yeah. and if you can get that automated, if you're thinking about things that are depleted on Earth, I mean we're not quite to replicator technology yet where this will all be moot, but but um, for right now. That's driving, you know, a lot of so a lot of the technologies they've got sure. to develop to get there and then land and operate and all that. Those are things that are common to to any kind of you know space work operating space. Well, I'll tell you one of the things that that kind of blew my mind years ago that I read is that helium, which we we take for granted, we don't really think about a lot, but is used for cooling on like supercomputers and large industrial computers. Um, and Texas is apparently the Saudi Arabia of helium on our planet. Well, apparently we're almost out of helium on Earth. Like, it could be something we fight wars over in the future. Well, it looks like the moon is covered in helium-3, mm. which which can be broken back down into helium, or from the moon out can be used as a, one of the most efficient rocket fuels you can burn. And just the idea that there is basically this space gas station floating around us right now and all we got to do is figure out a way to make it worth somebody's dollar to go get uh-huh. it. And, and we have this whole new resource that can be used for further exploration of space. It's, it's, it just was bonkers to me. I had not heard that the way you described it. It's bonkers to me that one mm-hmm. of the two simplest elements we're running out of. I mean, in its pure form, right? Without, right. without having to go. It's kind of like desalinating ocean. Well, we've got tons of water. It's just got salt in it, you know? Yep. If you don't, yeah, if you don't mind dying from uh, oversalinization, we've yeah. got tons of it. But uh, yeah. Well, let me let me go ahead and Larry. I don't want to no, rush no, no, you but here, so, but no, just to put a put a. I just looked up our page again. So here's some companies that are here's oh, some of those twenty seven and a half million worth of in kind people that are helping us out. Made in space, which is a big thing. They just they're the guys that are into three D replication and just put the um, the three D printer on the space station for a second time. So they're thrilled about it. Uh, Mike Snyder and his company, Terminal Velocity. Uh, space Works, Horizon Space Technologies, Janet's Planet, which is a woman, uh, Janet Ivy, that has a great show for kids. It's on a lot of PBS and, and public stations. Prairie Nanotechnology, Value Spring, I mentioned. Space Canada, which is the um, which is the organization space is backing, and the Canadian Space Society, uh, Center for Applied Space Technology, Deep Space Industries, and Global Aerospace. And that's just you know. So so my pitch, what I'm trying to tell all the listeners out there is. Just go to enterpriseandspace.org. Twenty bucks, a one-time thing, or you can give more now. You can you can do a bigger one and have your picture on a on a tablet on an iPad. It's going to tether out 
on a camera, a tethered camera can take a picture of you waving at the portal of the first enterprise in space. But just go do your $20 and help us support that. We'll have, we'll have some big time uh, grants and, and things from foundations and, and uh, private partners. But we want to make sure that people around the world are invested in this. And uh, if you're a volunteer, I just want to say that if you anything from law or marketing to social media to you can take flyers to your local, like I said, county fair and football game and teachers meeting, um, you know, jump in and, and see what's there at the site, too. But but uh, I just would urge everybody to do that. And, and then you're a virtual crew member on the first enterprise in space and you get the certificate. And when it comes back. As it will be, it's going to be retrieved, and the, and the students from kindergarten to grad school get their projects back and their data. Uh, it's going to go on tour, and people can see their name up there. Like people go to Ellis Island and see their, you know, see their forebears up there, and and you'll know that you helped out with this uh, project, which may be the first of several. And of all the projects that have put student projects in space, ours, I should say this too, real quick, ours is the only one that's actually not costing them anything to do that which I didn't realize until I got involved. So um, it's just an awesome, awesome project, and it's so big sometimes it gets lost under the, the weight of all its different facets. But, um, but uh, and we've got some, we just, we just um, collaborated. There's a news release about to come out. Uh, we just collaborated with the Smithsonian uh, Education and a couple of other uh, agencies on what we're trying to do with the schools to get the curriculum out, to get the projects in submissions. So it's just really, really exciting, and it's barely scratched the surface, even though we've been launched, quote-unquote, for a year. It's just going to pick up more and more steam. So thank you for asking about it. Now, we should move on. But I, but oh, I sure. it's hard to totally wrap your hands around how big this simple little project that, that you know. Well, I'll tell, you, I'll tell you what. If, if there is somebody else that you can think of to bring on with you in the future, maybe we could spend a whole episode, maybe a whole hour, just discussing Enterprise yeah, Space. Yeah, interesting and have different voices talking. We've done that. Yeah, because I think I think maybe I'm trying to cram too much information into too narrow a spot talking about it as part. Oh yeah, and I didn't mean to do that either. I need to. Oh no no no! I, and I'm not it's, I'm not saying you, I, that's completely it's on a happy me. challenge, but yeah. it's part of our challenge to com- to communicate this because it's like you know too much of anything, Lieutenant. Even love can be <laughs> a bad thing. Yeah. To quote Tribbles, so um, so sometimes <laughs> it's hard because this has become such a huge, big, incredible thing that. Getting all its goodness across is, is is difficult. But anyway, I just urge everybody to go to enterpriseinspace.org and check it out, and um, and you know, and and get in, get in on our virtual crew, Buzz Aldrin and, sure. and Rod and Michelle, and we're just working on people who've already uh, Grace Lee did before she died, uh, Walter. A lot of celebrities are endorsing this too, and uh, that's part of what I'm helping with also. And um, um, it's just an evolving. It, as it's gotten more complex, it. it you know, it's just been a challenge to evolve it the right way. But everybody who comes in contact with it is excited. And you, can, from the industry, from the aerospace industry to the, every time I talk to just ordinary fans and guys and gals who think it's a cool idea to honor, honor Gene and honor the past and move into the future. And, and uh, yeah, oh, it sounds like a great, a great yeah. project to me. And for the, and for those of you who are younger and don't remember, the first shuttle test craft. So it was basically a lander, mm-hmm. essentially. Because of fans of Star Trek in the 70s applying pressure to NASA, had its name changed to Enterprise, and the original stars of uh, Star Trek were brought out for its landing. But it was the rollout. Yeah, there's some iconic. If you ever see the iconic, 
everybody but Shatner from the original cast was, and this is, you know, the, the only cast in 76. Yeah. And if you see the video of it, they played the Star Trek theme as they rolled it out of the hangar um, up at Edwards. And, I was, it was yeah. a pretty amazing thing, yeah. Um, yeah, and Larry, I'm going to put all the show notes, I'll put links to Portal 47, Enterprise in Space, oh, all of that in there. Um, the other project of yours, and I, I still want to see if we can carve out a few minutes to talk about the TV series announcements and the movie real quick, but more importantly, what I want to talk about first is your Con of Wrath. Oh, okay. Well, we can just briefly touch on that, because uh, sure. the Con of Wrath I was trying to, it's, which is my documentary about this, the <laughs> what I say was Star Trek's most glorious failure ever, um, or, or the meltdown to miracle. But I, it's a piece of pop culture history that Partly I was worried about disappearing, but also it kind of fell in my lap. I, I was at – it was the first big road trip convention I ever went to. It was supposed to be the biggest collection of the entire original cast two weeks after the, con, the uh, Rathacon movie premiered. So this was June 1982. Some con veteran guys, young guys, you know, 20, 30-somethings in Houston had the idea. They'd hosted George and Walter – and um, the year before, and who went back, and Walter especially got everybody excited while they were shooting the Con of Wrath, or the Wrath of Con. And um, from uh, Chatner on down, they basically, it was the biggest, planned to be the biggest, you know, rock show for Star Trek ever. Outside even the confines of just a regular convention where you had panel, you know, Q&A and autographing. And, you know, realizing that Star Trek convention, media cons, as opposed to science fiction, you know, authors and artists that had been around since the 30s and 40s, um, and had gotten, you know, progressively a little bit bigger. But Star Trek just busted the paradigm and all that, and then Star Wars right after that, and now we're just saturated, and everybody and their dog has a hit show, and they go down to Comic Con and they're gods, you know. But before <laughs> yeah. all of that, and even before Star Wars, well, this is right after that, but. You know, Star Trek conventions, media cons had only been around for 10 years from the first Star Trek convention in New York in 72. So this is only 10 years in. So these guys had the idea to have a thing where Michelle could sing with an orchestra and Walter would write a play and they'd act it out and visit Reader's Theater and a talk show with a revolving stage and a laser show, one of the breaks. And it was at, literally at an arena. It was an arena show, the, the arena where the Houston Rockets played. And they had so much response to it. They thought they were selling tickets. 18,000 seats a pop at each performance, and they wound up with three. And it was attached to a regular convention at the time, uh, their their biggest annual local convention called Houston Con. And um, mm-hmm. they were the same people doing both, but they were separate shows. But they wound up dominoing on each other. Uh, basically, that was the plan, all of that. And I'll just say that it did not quite go the way it was supposed to. <laughs> <laughs> and I just stumbled into it, and then and then about five six years ago, I stumbled into a uh, a dead dog party, as we used to say after cons, uh, back home in Oklahoma City, and I heard a guy talking about Houston, and uh, the, that 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 arena show was called the Ultimate Fantasy, but by the time the weekend was over, the fans were calling it, uh, and there are so many wrinkles to the story, it was crazy. But by the end of the week, and we get into all that as well as some maybe bigger picture-framed ideas, too, about fandom then and now, and how the whole geek girl thing is hardly new, because Star Trek fandom really grew on the backs of girls and women, really. And um, But we go back to all that, but basically um, how that weekend, before the weekend was over, the fans who were there were calling it not the ultimate fantasy, but the ultimate fallacy, 
the ultimate, you know, fuck up, the ultimate this, that. And then somebody came up with the idea. Two weeks old, the movie had been out. And they said, no, guys, we just survived the con of wrath. And some dealers picked that up, the button dealers, and they were making buttons that said, I survived the con of wrath. And so when I, I heard a guy talking five, six years ago in 2010 at a party after a convention back Hong Kong City, and I thought, oh, my God, you were there. And he said, I was there. I was the tech director for the stage. And I just had a huge light bulb go off. You know, oh, my God, this, this needs to be preserved. It's passed, Like we said, it's passing into history. Um, when I found out that all the original – the organizers were still pretty much in Houston, and I realized that, as I've confirmed later, that Har, Bennett, and Walter at least would talk to me and also you know, George and Michelle uh, and a lot of other people involved celebrities um, that uh, that it was it was a doable thing and I'd been trying to not just be a word guy for a while and get into media so this is five six years ago so yeah that's where the idea was born and I've been back and forth to Houston several times we've shot the the original sites have let the two main sites have let us film in there wonderful uh, the arena is now Joel Osteen's mega church if you could believe that I, I believe that. I believe that everything in Texas is a mega church. I've driven through. So anyway, that. so that's the con of wrath, and and I was originally trying to. It's you know it was a it was a weekend project. It was a shade tree project. wasn't any big hurry. I didn't have a huge budget and a big crew. It was just me and my 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 friend and VP um, Neil Halford, and I have a friend that's an editor, David Dobson, and that was my original crew. My friend, my longtime best friend forever, mutual best man, uh, Kevin Hopkins. He's done all my graphics for it the way he's done with all my stuff. Um, and um, I just, you know, we just went at it very simply. But the last year or two, it's like, let's wrap this up for the 50th. And then that did not work out, and the 50th got very crowded. So now we're aiming to try to wrap it up for next year. There's still a couple of uh, names I want to go after and a couple of people scattered. It's been micro-budgeted along. I've had a support page on PayPal I you know the the year I started this no one knew had ever heard of Kickstarter except a, a guy right. that I knew in Ohio had said hey there's this new thing called Kickstarter you might want to check into it so uh, the perks that I put up kind of reflected you know 2011 levels of doing things but um, I've done this live meetup anytime I'm at a convention we have a party and I say you know you could give twenty dollars at home but for twenty bucks you can come here and get your screen credit. And do a live little event. So it went from being Larry's Con of Wrath meetup fundraiser, crowd funder, to I just finally started calling it the Dr. Trek show. And we have a lot of fun. I have rare clips of Trek and and um, have sneak peeks from the doc. And we do trivia for some prizes. And so if anybody's ever at a convention where I am, it's usually Saturday night, late night, where I'm not overlapping, you know, the masquerade or the dance or whatever, or not doing it too badly. So if you ever see me live at a convention, um, you know, look for that. I'll probably be doing that for at least another year, and then I'll probably transition into something that's related to Portal 47 now. Oh, sure. You know, and I should probably, this year my wife and I are trying to figure out if we're going to hit any conventions, because the last couple we did were such letdowns. Oh. I should maybe see if we can carve out one that you're going to be at, and that way I can actually meet you face-to-face. Well, you know, I'm, I mean, you know, Vegas is gone. They say it's, which is, just shocks me. It does, doesn't. Yeah. Uh, but, but, and home base, I know you've told me. Home base is where? For you? Oh, for me, it's in Medina. Oh, oh, duh. Okay. Yeah. Well, yeah. Of all these regional cons, uh, surely we can get together somewhere. And it would be oh, great I'm to sure, do that. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah. 
But um, okay, so that was great because I've actually had questions for you about that one for a so, while. So yeah, we're, we're trying to wrap uh, it up this year, come out next year. But people, I'm still in. You know, people are still welcome to come in, have a screen credit, or give more according to the perks on the page at, at uh, connorbrath.com. There's a Facebook and and uh, page for it. You know, go like that. Back, go like all my stuff. There's a. <laughs> it's all you know. Numbers are the currency of part of the other. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Now, so. Yeah, and I'll make sure we put put links to everything in here we can, um, you know, so our dozens upon dozens of listeners can see, see, seek you yeah, out from I, there. I'm just way over. When you go to the page, I'm way over to do put a new trailer up. That one's been up there for about two or three years. Has Walter and Harv in it, and um, I think uh, so. Yeah, we're overdue to put a new trailer up, but uh, it's been it's been great. Laura Banks, who was the one of Con's two babes, uh, who oh, had yeah. the line. And she was at the Conorbrath. Um, I decided recently to expand it. I, it was strictly people who were there. Uh, my friend uh, Ali Matu, who is a psychologist who's done a lot of panels um, uh, at genre shows and comic cons, I had I actually put him on camera to talk about the psychology of of the fandom thing and of taking events over a cliff, you know, and and just the whole fan psyche, you know, in a fun way. And uh, I think I'm, and, uh, Adam and Adam uh, Malin and Gary Berman from Creation, even though they didn't even do with it, I'm going to have them on camera talking about uh, the, the wild and woolly Wild West days of early conventions and the kind of the kind of uh, you know atmosphere of this. The biggest thing, though, is the guy who was in the middle of the whole thing had had kind of disappeared and been outside, and then he wasn't really thrilled about talking about it because he saw it as kind of a failure. And then he's had had really severe health issues where he almost died a couple of times. But he's really bounced back, and we're finally going to get uh, Jerry Wilhite on camera to talk about this. And so that's one of the most exciting. That's one of the big things I've been waiting for here this last year too. So anyway, so we're going to wrap it up and hopefully be out by next summer for the 35th anniversary of the Wrath of Khan and the Khan of Wrath. Oh, excellent. Um... Well, that's really cool. Uh, hopefully, hopefully you can get that wrapped up by then. And it's still so weird to me to realize that we are 35 years since the Wrath of Khan. Yeah. Oh, I just said that. I didn't really mean it. The math. No. Ignore the math. Pay no oh. attention. Step away from the calculator. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. Well, after, yeah, after thinking 50 years for the debut, uh, yeah, everything else is kind of downhill from there. So. Yeah, absolutely. God, it's just so weird, though, at times. Um so, Larry, there has been, and I'm going to pivot off of the Wrath of Khan because the big news about CBS's yeah, online TV show. Years, yeah. yeah. Um, well, this year, so the TV show isn't coming out this year, but just like last major uh, announcement they had was on the 20th anniversary of Star Trek was that next year there will be a new right, TV right, series. Right. Uh, but, holy hell, are there some big names attached as producers? And I'm assuming Harv Bennett's going to do some writing. You mean Nick Meyer? I'm sorry. Yeah. If we can get if we can get our Ben to do some writing, that will be bigger than Star Trek because that would since be he huge. passed away, yes, the same did. Leonard did. That would. <laughs> yeah, I did mean I did mean Nicholas Meyer. Yeah, I was thinking Harv Bennett to get there, and then it, yeah. the name stuck in my head. We got right. we had Harv Bennett uh, on camera though, by the way, before um, about five years ago. So uh, for oh, Conorbrath okay. too, which wow. is amazing. And his wife said this will be the last camera interview he does. So just side note, um, not to not to laugh about Harv passing, but. Uh, no, it, while we're there, I, I yeah, it. yeah. But no, no, they've got Nick Meyer on his. You no, know, talk about Brian Fuller and Nick Meyer. Yes. So not just big names, but the big names that matter. And which told me because here's the thing, and I, I can't remember if we talked about this much last time, but 
it's like I woke up that day, they announced the series. Um, our friends in licensing had only known for a, a couple of weeks. So I, after the first shock or two and thinking, well, here's the day. We've been talking about this day coming for 10 years and hoping and wishing and, you know, and then hoping and wishing it would be a, a quality product and something that fans could get behind and, you know, would, would make sense. It took about two or three readings of that to realize when they announced it, it was purely a business. It's like, here's the business plan. We're launching the streaming service. Just like when they launched Paramount Network, UPN, Star Trek was the flagship of it. You know, because they thought, what's, gonna, what's the no-brainer thing to attract eyeballs and attract attention and press and all that? It's Star Trek. So that's, that's the role, that's the place that Star Trek has in pop culture, in media, in, cult, in culture in general. And so, same thing. Here's PBS, here's PBS, CBS, trying to pioneer a new paradigm of media and catch up a little bit. You know, they're catching up to Hulu, Netflix, and all those guys as far as original programming, Amazon Prime. But at the same time, they're pioneering in that they're the first old guard network to jump into you know, cut out the middleman and do their own streaming and do original content for streaming. So they're leading the way among, you know, NBC and, and ABC and whoever else. But they sure. picked, again, they picked Star Trek to be, you know, somebody, a cynical person would say, you know, the cannon father, the sacrificial lamb. But as it usually turns out, it's the flagship. It's going to be the, the, the what other property do they have? What other way do they have to make sense? It's going to get the most attention. But when they announced it, when they announced it, it was purely business. None of those content questions were out there. And then, you know, that was, what, November, the week of Thanksgiving, I think. But then by February, when they announced Brian, I went, holy Toledo. That's like one of my two or three people. I would have – because of all the people involved with Trek previously, a lot of them are tied up in other projects, and they can't get out. And I know for a fact a couple of them either wanted to or wanted to – like set up the ability to when it happened and couldn't. So um, Brian was like one of the best quality people who was a Trek fan, you know, was a fanboy himself, worked on the old incarnations, and uh, and has gone on to do other things. So that not only does he have a resume that shows he's a showrunner, but just as a psych a psych out, you know that he can he can be comfortable in his skin, quote unquote, coming back to Trek. And not be oh, some sure. self-loathing, yeah, I'll take it and I'll do the paycheck, but my God, the world is going to know me as somebody who could only do Star Trek. You know, he's, he's beyond that. So he's a guy who is embracing this and enthusiastic and wanting to do it, and I love it because I know him. And, and you, know, had, you know, I interviewed him. That's one of my things for, our, uh, for Portal 47 was I went back and got my intact first year. First year he was on the Voyager writing staff, you know, our hour-long interview for that and played it where we talk about not just his shows, but you know, some of the things that drives him. And it's interesting to go back to 1995 and hear that in lieu of what's coming, you know, where all he's been with his career and then what we're in for now and some of those long, long standing things. So yeah, I'm totally excited about it. Um, it's like everything that, that, that CBS and or he has done so far has done nothing like hiring Nick Meyer has done nothing but add yeah to the internet buzz about this so much so that I was going, it's really sad that everybody's buzzing about the new series and, and where is any attention for poor Star Trek beyond, you know, although the, it's not like fans are ignoring it. They're, they haven't done anything with it, which has been a little troubling. And that's another topic for us to talk about if we've got time. But, 
but no, I'm so stoked for it. And and just the side bit, halfway through the day they announced it, the people griping about the five ninety nine monthly fee or whatever, or I'm like, really? Really? You know, I want <laughs> Really? I'm gonna I'm gonna use <laughs> I'm gonna use a phrase. Uh you being a Midwesterner, I'm sure you had a grandparent that said something similar to uh you would bitch if you were hanged from a new rope. Um, <laughs> I, I'm sure that. you've heard something like that. No, I get oh, okay. it. No, it's like, no, to me, I felt like I time trapped by, back to 1986 and all the fans who were bitching about Next Generation being announced. You know, because we had a very local uh, minority and we didn't even have the internet then. It was loud even without the internet. And now it's just magnified. The people are, it's not Kirk Spock McCoy. You can't call it. I don't care if Gene is doing it. You can't call it Star Trek. It's like, you know, and instead, Next Generation totally broke open the paradigm where it wasn't just Kirk, Spock, and McCoy. It was a whole universe with a timeline. You know, it was a whole sandbox to play in. And, oh, yeah. and, uh, and that's, but at the time, there was a very, you know, it, and we've kind of fleshed this out since then, that every time there's been a new thing in Star Trek, there's been a little vocal corner, you know, oh my God, it's not set on Enterprise. It does, it's on a space station. That doesn't go anywhere. Well, that's boring. Oh my God, they're lost in the Delta Quadrant. Oh, well, there won't be any Klingons. Um, oh, my God, it's a prequel. Star Trek is about going into the future. You know, this isn't, you know, every time there's been some new iteration, um, you know, and then there was all the J.J. And, and a lot of my heart wasn't in the J.J. choices, but I wanted to support it, and I appreciate the cast, and I appreciate how they've kept Star Trek alive and brought tons of new fans in. And I'm, you know, I'm pulling for, I was pulling for Beyond even with Bob Orsi doing it. So I'm, I'm pulling for Beyond now still. Yeah. Um, but anyway, but yeah, it's, you can't have a new wrinkle in Star Trek without some, you know, at least wait till it's out there before you, you whatever. But this has been the best set of steps to, to reassure as far as the quality and the content and know that, and know that, you know, not only is Brian an old Trek fanboy, he's fought the fight. He's been through the ringer, you know, pushing daisies. All his shows have probably been cut down in their prime too soon, which I hope hope that's changing. Hannibal ran three years at least. And we're talking about a streaming ser- series, not a network show. So that's all. The paradigm. Yeah. The paradigm should, I, I assume, be different for it's a streaming series. It's a whole different then. thing. So now we can talk about, you know, more adult themes and they can, you know, in the track record of the of the premiums and the, Streaming services, they're Emmy considerate. They're they're up for Emmys if they're good enough, you know. Okay. So there's all kinds of buzz that way. And the fact that yeah, he reached out and got Nick Meyer kind of blows the whole TV movie, you know, in a box. What are we working on? Kind of thing. That's what streaming and the premiums have done. Is kind of you know. Oh, yeah. Up well, it's, they very much they work a lot more like a BBC series. You get twelve great episodes instead of twelve great and twelve yeah. fillers, or even eighteen yeah. great and six. Clinkers or what? Whatever the yeah, whatever the mix is, they kind of get to throw the non-mythology and, episodes out and go. And, Here we go. Yeah, and what what people have brought out is uh, that all the years when I knew, uh, you know, like, oh, I wish they'd go and do a little, like even just do a short miniseries on Klingons or a short miniseries on Captain April or, or something. And I knew that didn't make sense because of the investment and the cost and amortized and all that. But now you're in a in a world. You're in a landscape where that makes sense, and it might even be an anthology. They might even do 12 shows and then come back and do 12 different ones the next year, you know, and uh, and and do that shifting perspective, point of view, landscape in, in time era. They may not even, you know. I 
yeah, I've read more than one rumor that that's the the idea is that it's going to be an anthem. Well, it would series. certainly for just the the people who aren't Trek fans, but just the media industry critics, and that would certainly get a lot of their attention. A lot of the mundane mm-hmm. media world and the mundane critics who would go, oh well. Star Trek is, you know, not being musty. That's what I always love. There's a saying about people always start off fighting the, the next war like they did the last one. You know? yes. And that's the way Star Trek is. People always jump into the new Star Trek looking at it like they're still on the, on the last one. And, and sometimes yep. that's almost unavoidable. But after you've had a time, and a, you know, a time lag and a gap like this, the TV production has changed. The, the, the business has changed so much just since Enterprise went off that... Um, and sometimes, you know, like Star Trek was just, it's just it lasted a year or two. The, you know, they were just starting to realize demographics were better than raw numbers when Star Trek originally got canceled. And if they'd had demos around, it would have been a hit. And they were just, when the Enterprise got canceled, they were just starting to realize the whole DVR thing was something to look at and take seriously, not just look at it as a novelty that the people, well, you know. Was it, was it you who I heard, I either heard or read a quote from you, I think it was you, that you're like, you know, while Battlestar Galactica was being lauded as this huge success, Enterprise drawing bigger numbers was being called a yeah, failure. Yeah, that was me. Yeah. yeah okay, I thought Enterprise that was Enterprise was actually yeah, seen we, by a million more people a week than Battlestar. When the, the year they overlap, Battlestar's first, Enterprise is second. But, but Enterprise yeah. had the perception of being a tiny fish in a big pond, whereas Battlestar on a, on a cable channel was, was a big fish in a small pond. And it was just, you know, and was yeah. the fresh new thing. And so, yeah, so it was just, it was, the perception was everything. But um, anyway, so, so Noah, totally excited, totally stoked about it. And Beyond is a mystery. I wanted to do really, I don't ever want anything with Star Trek on it to do badly. Whether, whatever fans do and think, I know that the bigger picture, as they always say, we have to have more fans, more than fans have to go see this movie, you know, to make it a success, yes. to make it buy, to make it not lose money and make more of them. So, you know, they, there need to be more people than fans watching this, and there need to be more people than fans commenting and reacting and, and being part of anything, and that can sink you as much as what the little circle of you know, people involved in following yeah. the Axonar lawsuit, little tiny thing, circle of people are doing. So, yay or nay on that. So, yeah, it's a big wide world out there, and sometimes people, sometimes fans forget oh. that. On all, all aspects, Pro- promotion and money and perception by the people who are really writing the checks and all that stuff. Well, what, what kind of cracked me up was, and this is back to my bitch and wall being hanged from a new rope thing. <laughs> I remember for a couple years, um, there's another podcast that you work pretty closely with and I'm a follower of theirs on Facebook I listen to a lot of their episodes every week and uh, reading through the comments people are like oh god I hope Netflix slash Amazon slash Hulu whoever picks it up and does something with Star Star Trek and then CBS announces hey we're going to do it with our own streaming service and everybody went fail (laughs) I'm just like whoa (laughs) hold on there guys because Here's Larry. I'm gonna I'm gonna tell you a secret, and I hope nobody else oh, finds this out. My and wife and just my wife and I, yeah, just yeah. you and I talking. My wife and I watch Big Brother like crazy every summer on CBS. Oh. I would get the CBS streaming service to watch Big Brother. Here's here's how here's how weird we get about watching Big Brother. We actually watch Big Brother America, Big Brother UK, and Big Brother Canada every year. That's weird, but I you know, it I, but it's like the spinoffs. 
it, yeah, but here's the thing. My wife and I are actually fairly intelligent people who normally get are, see right through not, reality are, TV. Speaking of seeing right through, I just, who are not normally voyeurs. Yeah, typically not. And then this show somehow five, six years ago just sucked us in. And and much like the people who saw Jack Ruby shoot uh, Lee Harvey Oswald on television, we have not looked away at our television since. Mm. You know? <laughs> but but we were going to get it, you know, probably anyways. Big Brother, I could see be a show where you, you'd go like, well, yeah, five bucks a month. Well, you know, watch it for three Here's the month. thing that got me. Okay, aside from the fact. Now, I understand people say, oh, I've already paying, you know, Hulu and Netflix on well, the world is shifting anyway. The whole point yeah. is the cord cutters. I mean, I, what amazes me is it's like the it's like millennials. I hate to box up everybody like this because I, I just grit my teeth. I mean, I know it's kind of inevitable, and there are generational differences, obviously, on all kinds of things. But I, I'm just shocked so much of this is coming from the cord cutting generation, and we need to get there too. This is insane paying whatever we're paying for cable, but. It's like, well, then you just make your choices. This is what everybody wanted. People wanted to get rid of, I don't watch the foreign language, or I don't watch the shopping, I don't watch the sports, I don't watch the religious so-called channels. You know, Why am I paying for all that? This is what people have been griping at for, for 30, 40 years, almost since the dawn of cable, is to have a part mm-hmm. of an a la carte you know, capacity for what they pay for and watch. I, I just, I'm blown away. The other thing is, it's unless they go into locking people into year-long contracts, which I don't think is the the, the main business model, and it probably won't be theirs. It, we're talking about if we say we're just assuming because it's never been announced. Let's just assume a standard what we've seen in the rest of them, a twelve or thirteen episode ish arc, right? Okay. Right. For one thing, you're not paying what five ninety nine. You're not paying five ninety nine a month for one show. It'll probably and I hope they do. I hope they do release weekly and they don't just dump. That that would be a horrible waste of promotional oomph if they do that and muscle and all that and buzz and all that. Right. So let's just assume they release weekly. That's four. Sh- so you're you're not paying six bucks for one show. You're paying like a dollar fifty a show, guys. And then if they run through the four shows, um, you know, and you DVR them for a while until they come out on blues or whatever, uh, you watch it for three months, four months tops, and then turn it off. It's what, that's what I do with the – I've said this before. This is what I do with the audio when I listen. I get the, the home radio broadcasts from my Oklahoma Sooners during football season. I pay for that service four months. I can listen to them while I've got the TV sound turned down and then morons on TV you know, miss important things. <laughs> and, um, and then I turn it off, and I pay the 10 bucks a month for four months. That's what you would do with you – know, if, if that's really a big issue for people, and I totally understand that it can be. Then watch it for the four months, DVR them, and then turn it off, and then come back in in a year or maybe six months if they actually you know turn around a season faster than a year. But anyway, there's a, people are so overblown. I mean, my my bottom line was if you had gone out a year ago and said, "Hey guys, we can get a new Star Trek series back if you all put in five ninety nine a month," who's going to say hell no? Hey Larry, Larry, I got I got bad news, buddy. Out of time. Let me see here. Hey, so uh, Star Trek Beyond comes out in July. Can I get you on the week after to talk uh, oh, Beyond with to. me? Oh, we'd love to. Yeah. Um, hey, in the meantime, if our listeners want to find your stuff on the interwebs, where can, where can they find uh, you at? Larry, a lot of my stuff is going to get a facelift this summer before con season, but LarryNimichek.com is kind of the hub. And on Facebook, Larry Nimichek's Trekland, and also uh, Portal47.net 
for Portal 47. And then at Larry Nimichek on Twitter. Thanks for joining us, geekishcast.com. You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash geekishcast. And I tweet from at the geekishcast. Good night, everybody. I'll see you Start Wednesday. Well.